Book Fifth, Chapter Six of Ben Hur by Lou Wallace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Six. The intercepted letter was conclusive upon a number of points of great interest to Ben Hur. It had all the effect of a confession that the writer was a party to the putting away of the family with murderous intent, that he had sanctioned the plan adopted for the purpose, that he had received a portion of the proceeds of the confiscation, and was yet in enjoyment of his part, that he dreaded the unexpected appearance of what he was pleased to call the chief malefactor, and accepted it as a menace, that he contemplated such further action as would secure him in the future, and was ready to do whatever his accomplice in Caesarea might advise. And now that the letter had reached him, in the hand of him really its subject, and, now that the letter had reached the hand of him really its subject, it was notice of danger to come, as well as a confession of guilt. So when Ilderim left the tent, Ben-Hur had much to think about, requiring immediate action. His enemies were as adroit and powerful as any in the East. If they were afraid of him, he had greater reason to be afraid of them. He strove earnestly to reflect upon the situation, but could not. His feelings constantly overwhelmed him. There was a certain qualified pleasure in the assurance that his mother and sister were alive, and it mattered little that the foundation of the assurance was a mere inference. That who could tell him where they were seemed to his hopes so long deferred, as if discovery were now close at hand. These were mere causes of feeling, underlying them, it must be confessed, he had a superstitious fancy that God was about to make ordination in his behalf, in which event faith whispered to him to stand still. Occasionally, referring to the words of Ilderim, he wondered whence the Arab derived his information about him. Not from Maluk, certainly, nor from Samanides, whose interests, all adverse, would hold him dumb. Could Masala have been the informant? No, no, disclosure might be dangerous in that quarter. Conjecture was vain. At the same time, often as Ben-Hur was beaten back from the solution, he was consoled with the thought that whoever the person with the knowledge might be, he was a friend, and being such would reveal himself in good time. A little more waiting, a little more patience. Possibly the errand of the sheik was to see the worthy, possibly the letter might precipitate a full disclosure. And patient he would have been if only he could have believed Tirza and his mother were waiting for him under circumstances permitting hope on their part strong as his. If, in other words, conscience had not stung him with accusations respecting them. To escape such accusations he wandered far through the orchard, pausing now where the date-gatherers were busy, yet not too busy to offer him of their fruit and talk with him. Then, under the great trees, to watch the nesting birds, or hear the bees swarming about the berries bursting with honeyed sweetness, and filling all the green and golden spaces with the music of their beating wings. By the lake, however, he lingered longest. He might not look upon the water and its sparkling ripples, so like sensuous life, without thinking of the Egyptian and her marvellous beauty, and of floating with her there and there through the night, made brilliant by her songs and stories. He might not forget the charm of her manner, the lightness of her laugh, the flattery of her attention, the warmth of her little hand under his upon the tiller of the boat. From her it was for his thought but a short way to Balthasar, and the strange things of which he had been witness unaccountable by any law of nature, and from him again to the king of the Jews, whom the good man, with such pathos of patience, was holding in holy promise, the distance was even nearer. And there his mind stayed, finding in the mysteries of that personage 
a satisfaction answering well for the rest he was seeking. Because, it may have been, nothing is so easy as denial of an idea not agreeable to our wishes. He rejected the definition given by Balthazar of the kingdom the king was coming to establish. A kingdom of souls, if not intolerable to his Sadducee in faith, seemed to him but an abstraction drawn from the depths of a devotion too fond and dreamy. A kingdom of Judea, on the other hand, was more than comprehensible. Such had been, and if only for that reason, might be again. And it suited his pride to think of a new kingdom broader of domain, richer in power, and of a more unapproachable splendor than the old one, of a new king wiser and mightier than Solomon, a new king under whom, especially, he could find both service and revenge. In that mood he resumed the doar. The midday meal disposed of, still further to occupy himself, Ben-Hur had the chariot rolled out into the sunlight for inspection. The word but poorly conveys the careful study the vehicle underwent. No point or part of it escaped him. With a pleasure which will be better understood hereafter, he saw the pattern was Greek, in his judgment preferable to the Roman in many respects. It was wider between the wheels, and lower and stronger, and the disadvantage of greater weight would be more than compensated by the greater endurance of his Arabs. Speaking generally, the carriage-makers of Rome built for the games almost solely, sacrificing safety to beauty, and durability to grace, while the chariots of Achilles and the king of men, designed for war and all its extreme tests, still ruled the tastes of those who met and struggled for the crowns Isthmian and Olympic. Next he brought the horses, and hitching them to the chariot, drove to the field of exercise, where, hour after hour, he practised them in movement under the yoke. When he came away in the evening it was with restored spirit, and a fixed purpose to defer action in the matter of Masala until the race was won or lost. He could not forgo the pleasure of meeting his adversary under the eyes of the East, that there might be other competitors seemed not to enter his thought. His confidence in the result was absolute, no doubt of his own skill, and as to the four, they were his full partners in the glorious game. Let him look to it, let him look to it. Ha, Antares, Aldebaran, shall he not, O honest Trigal? And thou, Ater, king among courses, shall he not be aware of us? Ha, ha, good hearts. So in rest he passed from horse to horse, speaking not as a master, but the senior of as many brethren. After nightfall Ben-Hur sat by the door of the tent waiting for Ilderim, not yet returned from the city. He was not impatient or vexed or doubtful. The sheik would be heard from, at least. Indeed, whether it was from satisfaction with the performance of the four, or the refreshment there is in cold water succeeding bodily exercise, or supper partaken with a royal appetite, or the reaction which, as a kindly provision of nature, always follows depression, the young man was in good humour verging upon elation. He felt himself in the hands of Providence no longer his enemy. At last there was a sound of horses' feet coming rapidly, and Maluch rode up. Son of Arius, he said cheerily, after salutation, I salute you for Sheikh Hilderim, who requests you to mount and go to the city. He is waiting for you. Ben-Hur asked no questions, but went in where the horses were feeding. Aldebaran came to him, as if offering his service. He played with him lovingly, but passed on and chose another. Not of the four, they were sacred to the race. Very shortly the two were on the road, going swiftly and in silence. Some distance below the Seleucian bridge, they crossed the river by a ferry, and riding far around on the right bank, and recrossing by another ferry, 
entered the city from the west. The detour was long, but Ben-Hur accepted it as a precaution for which there was good reason. Down to Simonides Landing they rode, and in front of the great warehouse under the bridge Maluch drew rein. We are come, he said. Dismount. Ben-Hur recognized the place. Where's the sheik? he asked. Come with me, I will show you. A watchman took the horses, and almost before he realized it, Ben-Hur stood once more at the door of the house up on the greater one, listening to the response from within. In God's name, enter. End of chapter 6